you know, Emma, anytime I need scripture read, I'll, I'll call you up, okay? And you can, you can do that for me. Um, good morning, friends. So glad that you have chosen to take time to worship today with your sisters and brothers. And it's just a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. And I trust each of you have just found a great blessing and fascination in this miracle of Christmas this past week. And um, we come to this, uh, this day of New Year's Eve. It, it's kind of a pregnant pause, a pregnant pause in the sense that, you know, we know things have happened in the past year and that we're on this fulcrum point of, of this blessing of this newness that's happening, preparing to happen in a new year. And, and some of the stuff we look at behind us, we don't like, <laughs> and, and we're, it, it makes us a little uncomfortable. But the thing that we're heading towards, we have great possibility with and actually provides great potential. And if we can recenter ourselves, get our minds straight, get our minds prepared, there's glory in that new year. And so today we come with the story that uh, Emma just read so, so wonderfully. The story that... Uh, Honestly, in the Bible, it's just, it's just the next thing after Jesus is born, right? But I'm fascinated with the, the idea that in that story, the characters in that story offer a great encouragement for what a new year might look for us. And so that's what we're going to do today is kind of look and explore that, explore that story. During the pandemic of 2020... Um, we, of course, were presented some challenges, right? Anybody remember that? I actually heard a co comedian the other day say, man, I, I, I miss COVID. Do you guys? <laughs> I kind of laughed and chuckled about that. But uh, um, that, that time was not without challenge, was it? It was, it was challenging to all of us. At the time when we were looking for wisdom and guidance in a moment that had no precedence, it was particularly tough for Church ministerial staff. I mean, it was tough. You know, who's doing this right? Who's doing this wrong? Um, what information can you trust? It was just tough. And, and sometime in the fall of 2020, myself and some other pastors from Broadway, we were, we were gathering with some other United Methodist pastors from the community, and, and we were kind of there to encourage and learn from, from one another over lunch. And we were discussing our process for, for making decisions in such an unprecedented moment. And... Pastor Craig Tuck from State Street United Methodist Church was there, and uh, he used a word that really struck me in that conversation. He, when he was describing his personal pandemic goal, he used this word that has really impacted me since that moment to this day. And that word that he used in that moment was faithful. That was his goal, was how can I be faithful in this hard moment? You know, no matter how this day strikes us, most of us sitting, you know, here reflecting on the, on the past year, excited about a new year, um, there's some folks that are ready to, to, to flush it and move on, and there's others that are like really kind of stuck in here, and this, I don't know how to feel about the new year. Um, but there's one thing that we kind of see in culture happening. Um, how many people are aware of this, uh, this trend of, of people selecting a, a word for the new year? You know, anybody, thank goodness, Amanda and, and Weston, you guys are out there, because at, at 8.15, I got looks like, 
what the heck are you talking about? So I'm glad somebody knows what I'm talking about. You select this word, and it just kind of makes your focus for the new year, you know? And you kind of you put it on your dashboard of your life, and it helps guide some things. And so this story today particularly offers a, a, a word for our coming year, just like Craig Tuck said. There's faithfulness in this story, and we're going to talk about that today. You know, our culture is just... And it's just constantly pushing us to win or lose, to, to be in or be out, to, to, to be right or be wrong. And this story this morning inspires and directs us towards a different kind of target, a different kind of target, that standard of faithfulness. Um, let me give you an example of just how um, it's just something that faithfulness drives us toward, progresses us toward. If we had, you know, so many folks around us just looking for the next quick answer, the next successful move, the next right opinion that they can lock arms with or the, or the one that they're not uh, in agreement with, this story has so much to inform us about the process to get to some of those places, the process that God, God wants us to be a part of, yet maybe not sometimes as patient as we want to be to ultimately get there. You know, those targets of certainty or arrival or banners of achievement that we all want, and when we access them, sometimes um, we just, we, we, don't, we, don't, we lack some fulfillment. Let me give an example here. Um, former uh, U.S. Senator Matt Hatfield, Mark Hatfield from Oregon, back in the 60s or 70s, he went and he visited uh, Calcutta and uh, went to visit uh, Mother Teresa. And he told a story about that encounter that might be helpful for us today. Um, he's visiting the so-called House of Dying where six children are cared for in their last days. And the, they're, they're encountering the place where the, the, the very poor of the poor line up to um, by the hundreds to receive medical attention. And he's watching Mother Teresa minister to these people, feeding and nursing those left to die, to die by others. And Senator Hatfield was overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the suffering that she and her co-workers were facing daily. So, so he asked Mother Teresa, how can you bear the load on the daily without being crushed by it? And she responded, it's, it's real simple, my dear Senator. I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. So wow, what does that mean to, to be be faithful. What do faithful people do? What makes a faithful life a wise pathway to righteousness rather than a barrier to the next quick right decision or next quick right thing? Better yet, what do faithful people risk by missing, risk, risk missing by just simply doing the, the, what they're supposed to do? Why is that a risk worth taking? Or what happens when faithfulness becomes much more than just showing up? How could faithful be a helpful focus word for us in 2024? Well, like I said, there's four examples of faithful in this story that Emma read from Luke's account about Jesus being brought to the temple for blessing. One by the Holy Family, another by this described wise, righteous, devout man named Simeon, Yet another by this prophetic voice of a loyal widow 
named Anna. And lastly, of course, God, the author and perfecter of all things faithful. Maybe this, just this next story in the gospel, the one that just falls in line after Jesus is born, may offer us some focused guidance for this year ahead of us. So there's a specific word that, that kind of comes with faithfulness from, from each of these four characters. And, and the Holy Family represents a faithful response of going, of going. They offered this faithful response to the law requirements. As a, as a historical Jewish people in their covenant to God, they, they were being faithful. The journey was tough to get to Bethlehem, but now their custom requires them to journey once again to Jerusalem to present Jesus at the temple for blessing and purification. Verse 22 and 23, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the, God, to, to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, so not only was a trip involved, but they had to come up with an animal sacrifice. And what they offered was considered the bare minimum required of the impoverished. Others of greater means offered greater things, but Joseph and Mary were not of greater means. The first trip was tough, but the second trip would, would not be easy. So my main question here is, if somewhere in that first couple of days after Jesus was born, did Mary, a tired Mary, just look up at Joseph and say, okay, honey, I just don't think I can make that 22-mile journey up to Jerusalem tomorrow. I'm worn. I'm tired. You're tired. Um, we could do this whole circumcision thing and temple thing later on when we feel more up to it. You know, that discussion might have happened, but, but these were a set of parents that had just participated in a miracle virgin birth. And while they needed maybe a little more time to let that all settle in, they knew who they were. They knew that they needed to choose to be faithful to the story and what their participation in that story was. So they decided to show up and, and just do what they knew in their heart of hearts was required of them as good, faithful Jewish parents. If the Holy Family responded faithfully by going, then Simeon's response was one of hearing. The Holy Spirit instructs and inspires Simeon by revealing to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon hears and trusts that voice so very, very much that he's faithfully preparing for the day that the baby Jesus would come and console his people. Simeon's not so much on the watch as he's faithfully placing his ear to the ground, awaiting the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I find it very interesting in this account by Luke. There's no mention of rabbi. There's no mention of a teacher or a ceremony. Rather, this in verse 27, guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, it's Simeon who took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
But then he speaks this wonderful blessing, this wise, impactful blessing on Joseph and Mary, and they're amazed. My goodness, I, I, I have a ton of questions here. <laughs> My question here is, Simeon knows the story for sure. He knows the promise through this baby. He knows what kind of promise that means to his people. So how does Simeon navigate all this excitement, the bigness, and, and his, his insecurities for this moment? Um, how does he feel worthy enough to speak that authoritative blessing upon these individuals he's never met before and their baby who would save the world? Isn't that fascinating? It's fascinating, but it's faithful. It's faithful. So Simeon's faithfulness comes through hearing. Then Anna's response was one of seeing. She's been showing up daily on the watch. She just keeps showing up, even in the midst of her being a widow, which is, you know, a feeling of definite marginalization, no resources, no support, but she doesn't care. She's got a story. Let's do the quick math here. Anna's childhood plus seven years of marriage, plus 84, that equals advanced in age, right? That's, that's been a long, long life, a long, difficult life with no resources, no support. But Anna had the story to tell, and she'd tell it day and night. And it was what she thought upon waking up in the morning and, and the last thought she enjoyed daily before she went to sleep. A story of promise and faithfulness that she showed up to tell daily while on her watch for the fulfillment of that story. Luke describes Anna very generally as a, as a prophet, but he, but he gives a very clear picture of faithfulness here in verse 37. She never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. And at the moment she came and began to praise God, to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. She was a prophet who praised God and talks about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. But, but what form would that redemption take? Who would recognize it or accept it? And who would resist it? She didn't care. She, as faithful to the story, demonstrated by showing up that she trusted that there was more to the story and that a new chapter was manifesting itself and just beginning through the Christ child. So if Anna's response was seeing, Simeon's was hearing, and the Holy Family's was going, God's response well, it's just simply being. Faithfulness is just what God is. It's this crazy, mysterious characterization as God is one that honors his faithfulness, honors our faithfulness, while at the same time doesn't need us to do anything faithful to be faithful. So many times we act in this linear perspective of if I do A, then God responds with B when God is actually faithfully involved in A already and B already and actually already A through Z. His character is faithfulness. 
And I visualize in this moment a God experiencing such satisfaction in observing all this faithfulness play out, beaming with a smile so wide we can't measure it. All these characters have showed up for this powerful moment that demonstrated God's faithfulness of the past, the present, and what was to come in the future through His Son, Jesus. So the characters in the story, they're self-aware enough here to live a full-hearted version of faithfulness. So what does that mean for us? How do we do that? If we were to make that our word for 2024... What could we do to make that our focus? So we better know what faithful looks like so that we trust that it's attainable. So what does faithful look like? Faithfulness is slower than the pace of culture. It's slower than the pace of culture. It takes time. It's more oven than microwave. It requires intentional thought and reflection towards not only the short term, but the long game. So it's slower than a piece of culture. It's also not guided by results orientation. And we, we just don't like this because everything around us is wanting results, wanting evidence. It's not guided by those things. It's, it's guided by trust and belief. The pull of popular culture is constantly dragging, it toward, dragging us towards results and evidence. But what if God's story of faithfulness isn't like that sometimes? What if sometimes faithfulness requires us to look at this dark fog and believe that the other side of the fog is a bright light, even though we can't see it? Faithfulness is not easy. It's not the popular path. It requires hard choices, choices that... We'd be fine not making if we didn't have to make them. And we look around all the times and there's people not making them. And and then they're okay with that. But faithfulness requires them. Faithfulness is our honest best effort. Our best is always enough. It requires the best version of yourself. And and, and sometimes when that's not accessible, it, it requires just showing up. Our best is always enough. Faithfulness is limited if attempted so low. The faithful path is far too difficult if we try it alone. We've got to have encouragement in the community of others around us that are faithful. And those voices encourage us to stay on that faithful path. And finally... Faithfulness is a special connection to God. It's not a special connection to ourselves. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than we. It's, it's, bigger, it's, it's as big as God. That's what faithfulness is. It's this unique path and process of seeking God's story, God's goodness, God's wisdom, and God's character, so that we are refined and redeemed through what He is doing in our midst and the new stuff he's doing on the daily. That all sounds great, doesn't it? Well, there's this little little template, this little strategy that we um, hold dear 
in the United Methodist tradition. It's inspired by the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, and it's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And um, the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, it, it's this strategy that holds intention for lenses by which we can faithfully find meaning or ask better questions about life. And so this is what the four lenses include. Number one, of course, is Scripture. Scripture, the primal inspiration and guidance for life. And then number two is tradition. How can the past hold value and guidance for the future? Number three, reason. How do common sense and the problem-solving potential of our brains offer guidance? And finally, experience. How does what we've learned and experienced offer guidance for the now and for the future? Scripture, tradition, reason, experience. The faithful part of these four lenses come from the process, the long game, and the reflection required to find value in them. These lenses are about offering life a faithful response when everyone around us wants a quick reaction. So, what might the target of faithfulness require of me in 2024, if that was to be our focus word? And there's other good ones. But if, what, what if it was faithfulness? What barriers and distractions do I face in seeking and building greater faithfulness in my life? Do I have enough supportive voices around me of faithfulness on the daily? Who are those in my life that encourage faithfulness in me? And what in my life today, as I embark on this new year, might be my first step of faithfulness? Let's consider those questions as we pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you for your steady faithfulness in the midst of the year 2023. Thank you for bringing us to this moment, and thank you so very much for the holy mystery of your presence and promise that we have just experienced in Christmas. May our celebration of a new year today and this evening be filled with that same presence and promise as we consider the year 2024 ahead of us. Fill our spirit with the resolve for the slow for the trusting and the depths of life discernment that draws us closer to your side. Draw each of us in the coming 2024 closer to ourselves, closer to each other, and closer to you, Almighty Father. Jesus, may all that has warmed our hearts and reminded our souls this Christmas further fuel and deepen our dependence upon you in all things. May you continue to build the trust within each of us to see your hope and light through all the fog we might face so that you are glorified and so that we in a new year are overwhelmed by your love, by your mercy and grace. Spirit, offer us a faithful path to the life abundant that you have fashioned for each of us. We trust all these things in the closing of one chapter and in the beginning 
of the next. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.